السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ پیس اینڈ بلیسنگ آف اللہ ویلکم ونس اگین ہیئر ان ڈرائیو ٹائم شو آف وائس اسلام یو لسننگ ٹو انیک الرحمٰن اینڈ آئی جوائن بائی ڈاکٹر طارق پاجوا اینڈ وی ہیو انادر ایڈیشن ان دی کرو مشرف احمد ہی واز اے مشنری آف احمدیہ مسلم ایسوسیشن ہو از جوائننگ ود السلام علیکم یو آل Today, as per our routine, we'll be discussing another two very important topics. We cover uh, two topics uh, each day in two hours. In the first hour, we'll be discussing a topic regarding surrogacy, should there be a universal ban or not. We'll be discussing this and we'll be having a guest who will give us more insight and would answer our questions. You can also share your views by calling us on 0208-687-7878. and you can tweet at voice of islam uk in the holy quran and in in the in the hadith in the saying of the holy prophet peace be upon him the holy prophet of islam said that paradise lies under the feet of your mothers a very powerful saying where we can understand that what is the rank of a mother and we will be discussing and i've mentioned this saying of the holy prophet peace be upon him just because we can understand that if we are using the way which is surrogacy should there be a ban because how a child is linked with the mother why this has been said why the paradise lies under the feet is just to born a child or is more into it so we'll be discussing that in depth surrogacy as you know the practice of women carrying or delivering a child for another person or a couple has been subject of ethical legal and moral debates worldwide recently pope francis called for a universal ban on surrogate parenting denouncing it as deplorable the relationship between a mother and her unborn child is a deeply intricate and bi- biological connection from the moment of connection a mother begins to nurture her child physically emotionally and psychologically this maternal bond plays a pivotal role in the child's early development influencing influencing factors such as emotional regulation cognitive functioning and even immune system development so banning surrogacy is essential to ensure that this critical bonding possesses or processes and remains undisturbed and un- attuned to the natural course of human development so we'll be discussing this whole subject in depth to understand what islam has to say on this and now even as mentioned the pope has said as well because they have realized that what there is no good out of it there's no there's nothing uh, we we are gaining from it somehow it is not good for the society Of course, surrogacy <coughs> is uh, something which was introduced as uh, trying to find an alternative to you know, having a baby. Those parents who could not become parents, and they obviously this is such a desire which is inbuilt in a, any animal that they want to um, reproduce, they want to have their children. and uh, if somebody is not able to have their child because of some reason maybe it's most mostly it is the medical reasons um and there are um, other reasons as well i mean some um, mothers they they cannot you know the ladies they cannot become mothers and 
the doctors uh, have tried everything else. They obviously there is uh, lots of facilities available now, whereas uh, you know early days there there was hardly any anything available. But now you know you can have the trials of uh, fertility with the um, hormonal treatment. You the ladies are given the treatment and then they prepare themselves and they are they have much better chance of getting pregnant. However, if all um, the other ways they fail, then uh, it was thought that if a lady is not likely to become a mother and uh, there are hardly any chances, then um, this chance could be tried that the fertilized ovum, that's the egg of the mother, it is fertilized in vitro, Vitro means outside the human body, uh, which is also called a test tube baby uh, because the ovum is fertilized by the sperm outside. The sperm is taken from the parent and sometimes even, um, you know, if, if the problem is with the father, uh, then the, the sperm can be taken from any other person and then the ovum from the mother is fertilized and then Obviously, this fertilized ovum is uh, placed into the uterus. Uh, that's the womb of the mother. And and that's where the whole period of uh, pregnancy, um, the, the, and the fetus, it, it spends all this time, uh, which is almost nine months and ten days, and this child spends in the womb of the mother. So... Obviously, this this was found that you know this is a way to get a child with where the sperm and the ovum they comes from the biological parents, but the child is uh, during the pregnancy period remains within the womb of a third person that is uh, another woman. So obviously there were um, questions about the morality, the ethical issues the spiritually, uh, from the religious point of view, from the legal point of view, um, all these factors were to be considered before this was allowed. So obviously um, these these desperate uh, would-be parents who wanted to be parents, they were, you know, they didn't have any children and they wanted a child. So they tried that and many a times, you know, they were successes. But at the same time, there were issues, and those issues were, there were uh, ethical issues, there were uh, obviously legal issues, which were, you know, the, the legal system had to come into play and allow that. Obviously, anything in the medical science, it has to uh, fulfill the criteria, which are the ethical criteria and the legal criteria before it is given a go-ahead and it is uh, allowed. But now, as you ha- you heard earlier, that uh, even the Pope, uh, the Catholic uh, of the Catholic Church, Pope Francis, he has called for a universal ban on surrogate parenting, and he has denounced it as a deplorable act. Now, the reason behind, obviously, is that there are ethical issues behind it. Um, morally, to what extent it is true, but we we can discuss the various aspects, particularly from the medical point of view as well as from the moral point of view. Looking at the teachings of the Holy Quran from the Islamic point of view, we can discuss it. 
And of course, the Holy Quran has said about the rule of the mother, that, and uh, I quote the verse uh, 79 of chapter 16. It says, And Allah brought you forth from the wombs of your mothers while you knew nothing and gave you ears and eyes and hearts that you might be grateful. Now, during the development of uh, a fetus, obviously these things, they are made, this is a process of the making of the child that, you know, your, your ears are made, your eyes are made, your heart is something which starts beating even at the 16 weeks of uh, conception. So this, this uh, process takes place in the womb of the mother. So the mother is the one who is feeding the child right from that age, from the very early, from when it is a, you know, from the few cell stage, and then gradually it builds up and all the uh, different organs of the body, they are being made. And so there is a very strong attachment to the mother of this uh, child which is uh, you know goes through the stages of embryo fetus and then um, to, to grow to a um, to the level where you know the, uh, it becomes a child so there is a very strong nurturing environment within that womb of the mother so obviously the child is being carried by this uh, woman and this woman her um, blood is circulating into the blood, into the veins of the um, child. So she has a very strong bond with the, with this child. And this is what actually is a major issue that this bonding of the child to the mother takes place within the womb of the mother. And if you take that away and give it to a third person, then the biological parents will not have that kind of attachment, particularly the mother would not have that kind of attachment with this child. And uh, there's so many other factors as well, how um, there is an attachment of, uh, of the, the person who is carrying the baby with that particular baby. So that is why I think this uh, suggestion of putting a ban on surrogacy uh, has come into uh, sort of into the news and uh, the Pope has announced that. So this, uh, this ban actually seeks to uphold the significance of this irreplaceable maternal role, emphasizing that the mother's presence during pregnancy is primary to the complete development of the child. And studies have shown that babies, they learn from the womb some of the things that a fetus can learn whilst inside the womb are uh, they, they, they are various things how I, how it is affected and we can go uh, to various organs of the body how they are being affected um, hearing is one particular thing and we have got uh, you know so many um, different types of experiences people have had and I remember that uh, the first caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Hazrat Hakim Malvi Nuruddin, you know, he, he has narrated in, in his uh, autobiography, uh, he has mentioned that I remember listening to the Holy Quran while I was in the womb of my mother. Of course, he, he was, you know, he, uh, he had committed the, the whole of the Holy Quran to his memory and he knew it very well. But 
because his mother was always teaching the children the Holy Quran. So the, uh, he was always hearing those voices of the Holy Quran. And he says that he remembers that, you know, obviously during his childhood, he, he had listened to the Holy Quran. But he, he said that I, I, I remember that I heard the Holy Quran while I was in the womb of my mother. So, so hearing the ear, it, it is a very, very important organ. The fetuses, they are very, very sensitive to the sound. They listen to the sounds within the mother's body. Um, uh, the common sound like the gurgle of the stomach, um, air going in and out of the lungs, the burping. Uh, obviously, um, you know, the, the air does not go in and out of the lungs while you are in the womb of the mother. It's only when you come out that you start breathing. So that, I think, is at that point uh, one should know. Uh, around 18 weeks of the gestation, you know, the, the fetus starts hearing. And by the time there is 24 weeks, they become conscious of external sounds. During the last trimester, that's the last three months of the pregnancy, they especially identify and relate to mommy dear's voice and their dad's too. Expectant mothers have reported sensing their fetuses' movements in response to sound during this period. In fact, fetuses even give a start or a jerk when they hear loud noises. So this is one aspect where you know you are uh, uh, you can see that the fetus is being affected because they do respond to to the sound. Another thing, of course, is the touch and the feel. While the first movements, which are the little wiggles and squirms, occur around 16 to 22 weeks, around 24 weeks, babies in the womb they begin to explore the lower part of their faces with their tiny little fingers. They learn to touch their lips and cheeks. By the time they are 28 weeks old, they come up with those famous uh, little kicks of theirs. A study by scientists at the University of Dundee published in PLOS One in June 2015 showed that fetuses between the 21st and 23rd week of gestation moved around and touched themselves in response to their mothers stroking the bellies. Uh, true. Uh, now, <clears throat> we're going to move to our first guest. Uh, we have uh, Jan with us, who is the chairwoman of the Radical Feminist Organization, Object. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you, Jan. Thank you very much for joining us today. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum Thank you very much um, for joining us today. To start off, Jan, could you please uh, let our listeners know that what is Object's UK stands on surrogacy and what are their main concerns regarding its practice? We're very concerned that there are huge dangers to women and to the welfare of children in this practice. Um, there is a danger that vulnerable women will get sucked into doing surrogacy just to stay alive. Mm. Single parents will get sucked into doing it just so that they can stay and care for their own children. As a former single parent, I know, I thought at one point, I am going to have to consider if I can't keep a roof over my children's heads, I am going to have to consider prostitution. I am going to have to consider surrogacy. Fortunately, I never did. Uh, I managed okay. Um, the dangers to children are massive. Um, children need to know their genetic heritage. 
uh, children need to uh, bond with their mothers and they need to breastfeed and they need the comfort of their mother's body. Um, we, in this country, we make puppies and kittens. Breeders are not allowed to take puppies and kittens away from their mother until they have breastfed them and socialized them for the first weeks of their life. And yet we take a baby away from its mother, the surrogacy, the same day sometimes. That is just wrong. So it's very, very important um, that we look at women's rights and children's rights. Um, the taking children away um, in surrogacy is against the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child, where the child has the right, if at all possible, to be looked after by his or her own parents. We've now had the first report from a child of surrogacy who has grown up not knowing her own mother. She found her own mother um, who had mental health problems and they were not able to bond. And she got on very well with the people who brought her up. But she said that it's impossible for a child of surrogacy not to be affected by the fact that they have been a surrogate child. The child has no choice in the matter. The child is the only one here without a voice and we have to listen to the voice of the child. You're very much right, um, Jan. So do you propose alternatives to surrogacy? And if so, what are they? There are many, many children needing adoption. There are many, many um, children's charities that need people to get involved in children. I'm afraid it's a hard truth that there is no, that there is no right to have a child. Uh, I know you've used the phrase intended parents. Um, I have to say, I'm um, a woman in my 60s. I'm actually an intended millionaire. I always planned that I would be rich and have loads of money. It didn't happen. It's okay. I was also going to be an intended beauty queen. That didn't happen either. I live with it. We cannot have all that we want. We cannot, a child is not an object. You can uh, aspire to own a basket, a shopping trolley, a house. You cannot aspire to own another person. If you own another person, then they're a slave. And we don't want slavery in this country. Uh, very well uh, phrased, uh, Jen. I think that's the right thing to say what you have said. So to move on, uh, could you please let us know how does Object UK consider the interest and rights of intended parents in the surrogacy debate? I'm afraid we don't think anyone has the right to be a parent. Mm. Um, there is no right to have a child. Mm. You know, some, some of us are fortunate. I'm very fortunate. I have two children. I had to face the fact as I was hitting my mid-30s that it might not happen for me and it might not have done. And I know many people, I would have been very upset, but I would have had to get over it because it's not something you can buy. We do see surrogacy as child trafficking and it is very, very, it's been proven that it's very, very open to abuse. There was the man in Japan who commissioned, I think it was 16 different children from different surrogates and was going to pay for childcare for them all. That is not being a father. There was a convicted paedophile in Australia who was allowed to commission a child from somebody else. We cannot have convicted mm. paedophiles having children of their own via surrogacy who they might also abuse. We have to look at the reality of these situations and sadly it's tough and I am sympathetic but there is no right to a child. Indeed, indeed. So are there specific cultural or societal factors that you believe uh, should influence the regulation or prohibition of surrogacy? Yes, I think in, in the patriarchal society that we live in, we have to elevate the importance of women's rights and children's rights. We know that if we, once we permit surrogacy, um, there's very few regulations around it even now in the UK where altruistic surrogacy is the only kind allowed. We still have people claiming £20,000 worth of expenses 
Um, now, if you can claim £20,000 worth of expenses, that is a salary to some people. That will be an incentive. Um, it's very important that um, in situations where women are povertized by lack of employment opportunities, where women are not equally represented in the government or in business or in any of the structures of power, that we consider women's rights and do not set up systems where women will be, shall we say, trafficked and pimped into surrogacy, as I'm sorry to use that language, but as we know they will. There are very strong parallels between surrogacy and prostitution. The prostitute has to say, this is not my body that's doing this because they can't face the fact that they have to have sex with lots of men they don't know. And the surrogate has to say, this is not my baby I'm carrying. When, when you're carrying one and it's inside you, you know. I also think we should elevate the voices of women uh, who have had children above everybody else because unless you've had that experience yourself, then you cannot possibly know how intimate and how strong is the bond between you and your child. So we have to listen to mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers first. Uh, hi, Jen. I just have one question. Um, do you distinguish between different forms of surrogacy, such as altruistic versus commercial, in the arguments? Yes, uh, we, we don't really agree with either of them. They're both child trafficking. Um, we have to face the fact that 90% of surrogacy in the world is commercial. There are billions to be made out of it, um, by, according to the calculations of Forbes magazine. It is going to be a big money spinner if we liberalise it in this country. Um, so we don't really agree with either. Um, altruistic, uh, you know, the family can be a site of abuse as well as the site of love and protection and support. So we don't really agree with either altruistic or commercial surrogacy. Uh, and there's, there's actually very fuzzy boundaries between the two. Uh, very much right, uh, Jen. I think uh, you have explained everything very comprehensively. Thank you very much for joining us today. I hope our listeners have benefited from this. It was a pleasure speaking with you and have, have a nice evening. And to you. Have a nice evening. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye. So you were listening to Jan, who was chairwoman of Radical Feminist Organization Object, who has discussed that why surrogacy is not the right, right thing to do. And she has mentioned the problems may occur through this. Before uh, we had this guest, we were discussing, uh, when Dr. Tari Baja was discussing, uh, that the, the bond between a mother and an unborn child in the womb, we cannot say that you know the, the bond is created when a child is born, even though by the day, you know, a child starts feeling and has a beat uh, in his heart and start beating and start feeling everything. From that day, the connection, the bond, uh, start taking place from with, with mother and, and, and a child. Dr. Tari Bajwa has mentioned uh, two other things, and the third thing, I think, is, is this smile and uh, frown, and I think which is something very obvious, and we we have heard many times, uh, that uh, you know, uh, even when you, when a mother goes to a doctor, doctor is you know checking uh, the womb and says now the baby is smiling, okay, the baby is blinking. So there are a few things which we find through that the, the, the child, uh, unborn child who's in the womb, are actually you know feeling everything, and uh, picking up the language, and uh, <clears throat> if we discuss you know the, the babies you know learn elements from their first language even while in the womb, the findings of a study by Kathleen Wemke et al. published in Current Biology in November 2009 suggests that babies' learning of a language begins in the womb. Fetuses become familiar, familiar with the language spoken by the mother and understand its pattern of stress, in intonation and rhythm. They even become familiar with the vocabulary. 
you know how beautiful it is even though we say this they they can't understand anything on the other side the studies are showing that they are picking up languages while they're in the womb and as i smell about as i said about the smile an article titled fetuses may express emotions in the womb by james mickel was published in fairfax digital in september 2003 the article mentions that Im- images published for the first time seem to suggest that unborn babies can smile blink and cry weeks before they leave the, they leave the womb yes that's quite true and today we have come still further thanks to 4d technology ultrasound scans have captured varied emotions on a fetus face crying squirming smiling wrinkling the nose you know uh, raising uh, eye- eyebrows and so on often these are reactions to what the mother may feel or do if she's angry upset or under stress it can certainly reflect on the little baby and the last thing is the sense of taste while you know the taste buds begins to form around 8 weeks around 14 or 15 weeks they are developed enough to enable the fetus to identify and discriminate between different flavors so if the mother has garlic on a particular day and there are traces of the flavor in the amniotic fluid fluid baby there is solos it and makes a, a grimace the next day if it is honey and maple syrup with a cup of oats baby takes an extra gulp of the amniotic fluid the findings of a study by julie manella et al published in PubMed in June 2001 suggest that mom's diet during pregnancy can influence a baby's food preference later on. Of course, I mean, sir, all these factors they do influence and that's why you have heard, you know, many many times you might have heard the stories then that a child has suddenly started uh, speaking a foreign language and then um you know which uh, you know he is not familiar nobody has taught him. Uh, or her, and and yet uh, they they start speaking <coughs> fluent language and then they have traced how this has happened and they have come to know that there were either the mother or you know the mother had that uh, language which she, which they started speaking or they they were living in a surroundings where people were speaking and that foreign language and of course the child was not born yet but because of uh, you know because it was the influence and they he could hear the those voices so he was very familiar and as soon as he started speaking he he was able to speak in a foreign language so obviously there is a lot of uh, influence on the baby and that is the point to make here is that while you are in the womb of the mother you do get attached to the mother and whatever you know um, physically uh, as well as uh i think in a spiritual way as well that that child is influenced uh and that is why you know there is one thing which comes to my mind is that in the islamic teachings um it is a tradition of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him and he and he has also advised that when a child is born the first thing you do is that you say azan that is a call for prayers in the right ear and the iqama that is the call for uh, for the prayer when you are standing for prayers on the le- in the left ear so you know many people uh, they raise objections you know what what's the point why are you doing this child does not understand but the fact is that the, this child does understand and this message 
which is about the unity of God and introducing him to his creator is very, very important. And that is the right right point uh, at which this is done. And this is this is according to the teaching of the uh, of Islam. So I, I think the another point which is uh, we mentioned earlier is the ethical concerns as regards the um, surrogate baby or a surrogate mother or surrogate parents. So um, in chapter 46, verse 16, it says that, and we have enjoined on man to be good to his parents. His mother bears him with pain and brings him forth with pain. And the bearing of him and his weaning takes 30 months till when he attains his full maturity and reaches the age of 40 years, he says, my Lord, grant me the power that I may be grateful for thy favor, which thou hast bestowed upon me and upon my parents, and that I may do so, I may do such good works as may please thee, and make my seed righteous for me, I do turn to thee, and truly I am of those who submit to thee. So the here again it is mention of the parents' uh, con uh, connection with the child and the responsibilities uh, of, a, of a child towards the parents as well. They have been very clearly mentioned here. And that is because, uh, you know, because the Holy Quran has particularly emphasized that how much favor has been done by the parents to the child and, and that child must remember that. That the mother particularly, she has uh, borne him with pain. She has given, you know, during the, the time of delivery, she has suffered greatly. And uh, all that, and, and not only that, then she has looked after up to a certain age. And, uh, you know, because you, you really get mature at the age of 40 years, and up till 40 years, it's const constantly, it's uh, the parents who are looking after you, they, uh, what is the best for you. They are always there for you, they guide you. And therefore, one must not forget about the parents. And when they are in need later on, when they become old, then the children should look after them. And that is, you know, the point here is that if you have a surrogate mother, you know, who are these parents that this advice is for? Is it for the biological parents? Is it for the surrogate uh, mother? So there is a division. So these are the ethical concerns which, uh, which are raised that when in such, such situation, you know, what would, you, what would be the advice to the child? And one of the primary reasons to support a universal ban on surrogacy lies in the ethical concerns surrounding the commodification of human life. Again, um, earlier it was mentioned that it, it can be a, a very lucrative business on the commercial grounds because you make millions and when, when the money is involved, then the ethics, they go out, they, they are thrown away because, you know, people are just looking at from the commercial angle and uh, all these emotions, all these sacrifices, nothing is considered there. It is, is more important thing is, you know, you can see that, uh, you know, the, the, pay, the biological parents advising the surrogate mother that you should uh, look after your health, you should do this, or do, do not 
do that, and, and particularly they are very concerned about if somebody is a smoker, somebody is alcoholic, then they, you know, they have to stop doing that. Why? Because it's not for the baby. It is more like that because she has to get the money, so she will follow the instruction and she will stop smoking. She will stop, you know, drinking alcohol and all that. Uh, so, so she is forced to do that. So, uh, so there are other issues which are associated with it. Um, uh, so, and, and they they can cause the issues later on in life for the child as well, because you see the deep psychological issues are associated with your childhood, hmm. and particularly um, in my experience, many a times it's the child when the child finds out that. Th- the parents who he thought was his parents, they are actually not his parents. They are just biological parents. Or they find out that he's an adopted one. Even for the adopted children, there is a lot of concern. So surrogate mother, it will be another issue. But even the adopted ones, so that is why in the, uh, you know, the teachings uh, of Islam is that even if you have adopted a child, you should clearly tell the child that you are adopted and his uh, the, his father should be the his own biological father and not the adopted parent should not take uh, or give him the name or give a misconception that they are their uh, his uh, real parents so that is another another thing which is <coughs> which issue which is a of course one of the ethical concerns as regards the surrogacy is concerned the critics, of course, they argue that surrogacy transforms the miracle of childbirth into a commercial transaction where women's bodies are treated as a means to an end, as a means to an end. So surrogacy has been criticized for its potential to exploit vulnerable women, particularly those from economically disadvantaged backgrounds. That's another thing, you know, the people the have nothing to yeah. eat. You know, they are dying of hunger and uh, you have a you know a option that you will certainly you can get a huge amount of money which can fulfill all your needs or which can be at least give you um, you know support for your for your survival for a for a certain period then of course you will go for it and then um, the ethical issues are are put behind so that is the this is the financial incentives these these are the ones which uh, are offered to surrogate mothers, and that may lead to situations where women are coerced or pressured into becoming surrogates. So uh, that that of course compromises their autonomy and well-being. So hence, while uh, why a universal ban on surrogacy would essentially protect women from potential exploitation and safeguard their dignity. So that is why it is essential that there should be uh, a ban on this uh, um, uh, type of childbirth where a surrogate mother is used. You're very much right, Dr. Tariq I think we see most of the time those women who are giving their body, of course, they are in need. And, you know, there's nobody willingly wants to give, uh, you know, her body out. And one of the arguments they present when they're discussing surrogacy, they say that uh, it's just um, basically a machine uh, and actually the parents would remain the same because we have taken the eggs from our, you know, the sperm from, from uh, you know, the child's father. 
and that that womb is just kind of a machine but they don't understand you know the body a human body it's a gift of god almighty it's not a machine it's a it's, there's a physical bond to it there's a living it's a living, there's body, a li- li- so living machine and, i should and, say and you know you're creating yeah so you're creating a, and you're feeling and you know it's it's not good for a child and for a mother sometimes you know there are some situations you know comes up where a parents maybe you know something can come up they are, they start having argument or they are just separating from from each other and the child is in the middle <laughs> and mm-hmm. who going to adopt the child and they are not willing to do it because they don't want to you know take that child in, into their another custody because they don't want to see each other so so many things can come up and there are things which people see and this see at the end the child struggles and he has to bear all the cost all the problems because of that and somehow you know there there are some mothers who really don't care when they are giving a birth to a child they just they, they they give a child and give it to the parents but there are some women who are somehow connected with with those children if somebody has only done once in 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 the lifetime and the bonding of a mother who has given the birth he has a very great bonding with the child as well so the bonding remains regardless if he's or the child is with her or not for in in the long term one of the question we have asked on our instagram page as well where uh, you know the question was asked should surrogacy be banned or not and 68% have said yes and 32% have said no so people understand that it is not good especially for a child is getting born as you know the mother which has uh, you know he he has uh, developed for 9 months is different mother than one he is living with see it is a of course it is a desperate measure for those who who don't have children yes. and they are desperate to get a child but of course uh, uh, they they want to have a child of their own as well from their own uh, like uh, from their own genes but the thing is that and i have heard it from uh, from our caliphs our uh, spiritual leaders the ahmadiyya muslim community and they have advised that look you know if you adopt a child who is in need mm. somewhere of course that child will have a better future if he is with you and you are looking after that child maybe he, he this child is an orphan and there is a great reward which has been promised by god almighty to those who look after orphans and if you adopt an orphan child then allah will have mercy on you maybe then you will he will he will give you a child of your own um you know through normal means so if you are kind and you have that intention that you are going to look after a child who has uh, who you are going to change his future uh for a for a better future then of course you know this is an act of kindness you are and not only that it will fulfill your own uh, desire but it also will help this child and uh, um you know who who has nobody to to look after and you are looking after and and this will give this will bring the player of allah and that is the basic purpose of the life of the a human being that you can please god almighty who has created you and it is a way of thanks to to god almighty as well that you know he has given you resources he has given you so many other things you are just missing one thing and that is um yeah you don't have a child but uh, there are so many other things which god almighty has given you he has given you eyesight he has given you hearing he has given you hands and feet you you are healthy you can walk around so there are so many other things that one cannot thank him enough so this is one way of actually thanking god almighty 
that you have given us uh, so many things, and we are thankful. And as a thank, we are uh, we are going to to look after a child. Well, I'm sure. I think uh, there are many people who have adopted, and they understand. I think one on one side they are pleasing Allah the Almighty, and I've seen people that when they adopt somebody, Allah Taala has given them babies as well. Yeah, as well, yeah. So just sure, because they are pleasing. Sure, if you want to say something. Yeah, I just wanted to add to this. I mean, when we look at the bond which the child has with the mother during the pregnancy, mm. it is proven, scientifically proven, and some things are also unexplained that that bond, it stays for many, many years after the child is born as well. Where, for example, the child is hurt, but somehow there's a sixth sense within the mother and she can she can feel that pain or something has happened to my child. And you mm. need to understand this as like a like a mini world the child is in the womb and it's a mini world and as um, we have mentioned before as well that whatever the mother is saying or whatever she's eating or whatever Feeling. her feelings are um you know there's a phrase out the happy mother happy baby hmm. so the way the mother behaves that will have an impact on the child and we see it that when the child is born when the child is happy i mean all of us we we had children um you can see the kicking in there that the child is happy whenever the mother is sad the child will be quiet so with surrogacy we don't know when we give our child away to someone else what that other person what that other lady is going through in her life what her background is what is she consuming the way a mother can look after the the child herself and stopping herself from consuming alcohol or um stopping herself from smoking <coughs> that love that other woman will never have that love for the child in the womb and i think this which has been discussed um earlier as well yeah we're much right um musharraf and i think uh, uh again as you mentioned that bond actually if there's a bond with with a mother who is giving a, a birth to a baby remains uh, you know in, in his lifetime it doesn't you know goes away by the time uh, she gives birth to a child one of the thing you know the holy quran says in uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 234 that and mothers shall give suck to their children for two whole years this is for those who desire to complete the suckling and the man to whom the child belongs shall be responsible for their mothers for their the mothers food and clothing according to usage no soul is burdened beyond its capacity the mothers shall not make the father suffer on account of her child nor shall he to whom the child belongs make the mother suffer on account of his child and the same is incumbent on on the heir if they both decide upon winning the child by mutual consent and consultation there is no blame on them and if you desire to engage uh wentness for your children there shall be no blame on you provided you pay what you have agreed to pay in a fair manner and fear allah and know that allah sees what you do it's very clear instruction of allah the almighty that a mother should feed a child milk which god has given to a mother If a child is taken away from the mother, indeed that woman will be giving a milk which we normally find in the shops. So there is a, a, a different milks are there. But what Allah the Almighty has said here, the the bond a child has with the mother, and you know the, when the child when the child is born, 
And I've uh, so we we find out through the studies that they've just put child on on mother's uh, chest, and mm-hmm. automatically he finds the breast and start feeding himself or herself. So the bonding is there, and a child wants that. And if you are just taking that away, and it's not getting milked as Allah the Almighty has mentioned, so you're not fulfilling one of the rights which uh, God has mentioned in the Holy Quran, as. We are discussing the Pope Francis uh, in his call for a universal ban on surrogacy emphasizes the impact on the sanctity of human being. And that's what the Holy Quran says. You know, it's been 1500 years ago, Allah the Almighty has very clearly mentioned the, the sanctity of human life. The belief that every individual is unique and sacred in central to many religious and ethical frameworks, surrogacy by divorcing the act of procreation from the natural process is seen as compromising the reverence for life and reducing a degree of detachment between parents and children and the emotional and psychological well-being of both by mothers and the children child are the intricately tied to the pregnancy experience and the unique connection formed during gestation lays the foundation for a secure attachment between the mother and the child fostering a sense of security, trust, and emotional resilience. So surrogacy, by introducing a third party into this delicate relationship, has the potential to disrupt the natural course of emotional bonding, impacting the mental health of both the surrogate mother and the child. Uh, Of course, I mean, those who are, uh, you know, who are the ones who are suffering and they want to have a surrogate child, they they would uh, question that. Okay, you are taking away one opportunity which we 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 could have to have a child. So, what are the alternatives? So, alternatives we discussed earlier as well. That uh, while infertility can be a challenging reality for some individuals or couples, alternative methods such as adoption offer a viable solution without compromising the natural maternal bond. Advocates for a universal ban on surrogacy argue that there are alternative means for individuals or couples struggling with infertility to build a family. Adoption, for instance, provides a solution that aligns with ethical principles, allowing children in need of a home to find loving families without resorting to the potentially problematic aspects associated with surrogacy. Adoption also allows for the creation of loving families while recognizing the importance of providing a stable and nurturing environment for the children in need. In relation to adoption, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, he has said that according to Islamic teachings, adoption of children is allowed, but Allah the Exalted has specially commanded in this regard in the Holy Quran that such children should be addressed by and carry the family names of their real parents alone. So this is actually instruction from the Holy Quran. And that's from chapter 33, verse 5 to 6. Um, So he says, therefore, such children should be informed about their adoption and their real parents at a very young age. So these are the various aspects we have been discussing about um, surrogacy. We have discussed the various... Um, you know, pros and cons. We have discussed about the ethical, moral issues. Uh, also, from the religious point of view, I think that as regards Islam is concerned, um, Islam does not encourage 
surrogacy. Uh, and uh, if we have the alternatives, then we should try to uh, follow those alternatives and we will have a sort of, uh, we will avoid the complications which are very likely to come up when you have the uh, surrogate mother and the biological mother and then you have all the, all the complicated issues as well. So the ban on surrogacy is rooted in the, the recognition of the irreplaceable role of mothers in the prenatal development of their children. We discussed earlier as well that, you know, how high the position of a mother is in Islamic society where and the holy prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he has very clearly said that the paradise is at the feet of your mother. So it is such a high status that has been given to a, a woman in the role of mother that she is the one who guides her child, you know, and from her guidance, this child can go either to um, to the wrongdoings or he can be a very beneficial member of the society and who can pursue to, who who can proceed towards seeking the player of Allah and and hence go to paradise. So that is that is what is meant in the when when the Holy Prophet may peace be upon him. He said that uh, the paradise is at the feet of your mothers. So the mothers are the ones who, uh, uh, I think I remember an incident where um, uh, somebody who became a thief and he was a very, very strong criminal and he was, uh, ultimately he was given the punishment, the capital punishment, and when he was about to be taken to be hanged, he, he, uh, he was asked, what is your last desire? And he said, I want to be, meet my mother. And when the mother came to see him, he actually um, bit her nose uh, with his teeth. And uh, obviously, mother was shocked. What is What has he done? She asked, why, why have you done that? And uh, he replied that, had you stopped me when I first time I stole, had you stopped me there, I wouldn't have gone to that extent. So that is... So strong is the is the um, role of the mother that she can direct the children to which way which way a child should go, and that is why it's, it's important. That's why um, the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, has uh, said that you know those uh, mothers who uh, direct their children to the right direction, they are the ones. It is at it is them that at their feet is the paradise. And those who take them, who want to take them towards hell, then then their life would become hell. Because, you know, if a child suffers, the mothers or the parents, they suffer more. So if a child is not, you know, if you have, uh, usually there is a prayer which we all Muslims, they are advised to pray, is that you are praying for a righteous child. And the children become kuratul an. Kuratul an means the, the apples of your eyes. They, they become... A source of happiness for you, and that is why it is important that you, you, uh, while you have children, then you you train them well, you get them attached to their creator, and that is what will bring happiness to you. Because if the child is suffering, you also suffer. Yes, you are much right, like uh, Now <clears throat> we are heading towards the end of today's show. A message um, thing, as you have understood that. The banning uh, of surrogacy, you know, serves as a protective measure, safeguarding the sanctity of this bond and upholding the 
intrinsic importance of mother's role before the child is even born so you know at the end uh, it is obligatory on us that we should be following the commandments of allah the almighty regardless if we are from any religion i think every religion are uh, from god almighty and there are some ways god has taught us and we have to follow those what god has made as god has made for us so may allah uh, enable us to follow the commandments at god almighty desire from us and if there is couples who haven't got any children god has opened the ways to take care of the orphans and i think there is a very satis- there is satisfaction into you taking care of 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 those who have no mother who have no parents and you know uh, giving them a house giving them a shelter protecting them from the world and giving them you know good education and they will be grateful to you and atala would be uh, you know uh, he would be happy from you and somehow you will fulfill another commandment of allah the almighty so may allah enable us to do so with this we would like to end today's show and we will meet you in the next hour so please join us after the short break and after the short news break thank you very much until next time assalamu alaikum peace be upon you all assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh peace and blessings of allah be upon you all welcome once again after the short news break in the voice of islam radio you're listening to anik rahman and i'm joined by dr tariq bajwa and musharraf ahmed in the studio london studio voice of islam in the first hour we were discussing surrogacy whether it should be banned or not and we have discussed in depth we had a guest who has spoken in this particular topic now we're going to go to a new topic in the second hour of today's show which is codes for social and moral behaviors and the holy quran is a perfect code of conduct and a source of morality etiquette and manners and we will be discussing this topic in depth we will be seeing what are the how the you know it makes holy quran a perfect code of conduct and uh, we'll be going through all the commandments of allah the almighty and how you know he has given us the holy quran and by following it we can become a good person uh, morally and spiritually for this you can also call us if you want to share anything you want to uh, see anything please do give us a call on 02086877878 it's 02086877878 and you can tweet at voice of islam uk allah the almighty states in the holy quran in chapter 4 verse 37 and worship allah and associate not with him and show kindness to parents and to kindred and orphans and the needy and to the neighbors that is a kinsman and the neighbor that is stranger and the companion by your side and the wayfarer and those whom your right hands possesses surely allah loves not the proud and the boastful so as i mentioned to this show we will be focusing on the social and moral codes in islam which relate the man uh, which relate to man's conduct with fellow human beings islam emphasizes to live a well balanced life to ensure this allah the almighty has instructed the muslims to follow the spiritual and moral code these codes are based on the teachings of the holy quran and the traditions of the holy prophet peace be upon him and must be followed by all muslims from the establishment of a proper social structure the underlying principle 
In Islam, for all social behavior is the love for follow human beings and the service to humanity. In God's revelations to the Prophet of Islam, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, as much emphasizes was laid on a service to humanity as on the worship of God. In the eyes of God, prayers or prayer is completely meaningless if it is not accompanied by service to humanity. In Islam, there's two fundamental things we have to do if we want to become a true Muslim. There are two rights which we need to fulfill. One is the rights of Allah the Almighty and the second is the rights of human being. And we are duty-bound, being a Muslim, to follow both of them. We should be fulfilling the right of Allah the Almighty and fulfilling the right of human being which we can learn through the Holy Quran, the teaching of the Holy Quran, and we'll be discussing that today to have a more understanding about them. Uh, of course, uh, the Holy Quran is a complete guide how to spend your life, how you can achieve the purpose of your life, and that is the, to seek the player of Allah. And it has divided um, you know, your conduct into two parts. One is how you can avoid the vices, the evil, and the second part is, of course, that how you perform something good. The good deeds, of course, are the ones which, uh, if you perform the good deeds, that will uh, give you, or that will take you to the player of Allah, and you will be rewarded for that. But before that, you have to sort of clean your plate. You have to clean your character. You should have um, a character where you know later on you can color it because if there is already um, there is some spots on it then it will not take up the color or if even if it takes up the color it will not be the right one so you have to to be clear and that your conduct your there is no immorality in that and that's why there are certain vices within the society which the holy quran has particularly prohibited and uh, among those vices, one of the things uh, which has been mentioned, of course, it is related to um, your food, it is related to the drink, it's related to gambling uh, and uh, taking of usury. These are, these are something which is uh, very clearly uh, sort of specifically mentioned by the Holy Quran. And uh, so if we take up gambling, gambling and other games of chance are also prohibited in Islam. So why they are prohibited, that was uh, one question is raised. And according to the Holy Quran, these things carry little good and more harm. So the thing is that the Holy Quran has not denied it completely that there is some benefit. Some people, they do take advantage of um, these things, but the harm is more as a society and people uh, sort of go towards ruins later on, although it is very, very addictive, and when you start it, you might find that you are benefiting because it's just like a business. People, they don't find a difference between a business and gambling, but they, this is something which is because it is something which, uh, which is habitual, and once you are involved into it, you cannot stop um, getting deeper into it and to the extent that you ruin yourself um, and all your uh, financially you have you suffer loss and you can go to the extent where it becomes very very difficult to recover from that gambling it's a dangerous addiction persons addicted to gambling they can lose their entire lives 
In fact, from the medical point of view, this has been, um, you know, this is a part of the um, syllabus that gambling is discussed <coughs> with the patient as drinking is a bad habit. Similarly, gambling is an addiction and you it can be something for which you need help to get out of it. So gambling addiction is a typically um, a progressive addiction that can have many negative psychological, physical, and social repercussions. It is classed as an impulse control disorder. Furthermore, the second caliph uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, he has uh, he delivered a lecture which has been published as Invitation to Ahmadiyyat in which he has mentioned that um, another great moral change relating to the promised time and predicted by the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, uh, is excessive gambling. It has been reported by Hazrat Ali, may Allah be pleased with him, and recorded by Dalmi that one of the signs of the doomsday eve is excessive gambling as a sport. His Holiness further said that well-established countries like Europe and America do not just take gambling as a sport, but it has become part of a lifestyle for them. His Holiness continued by saying that not only rich, but poor are also indulged in lotteries, and they do, do it not only on special occasions, but almost every day. The money that is wasted in gambling, um, if it's used in trade, then economical state of the countries will tremendously improve. So because of the gambling that prevents them, you know, investing their money and because, you know, they, they would like to invest into gambling and as a result lose their money, what they have even. Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran, chapter 5, verse 91, O ye who believe wine and the game of hazard and idols and divining arrows are only an abomination of Satan's handiwork. So shun each one of them that you may prosper. In this verse, Allah the Almighty is saying that gambling, game of hazard, is work of Satan. So leave it if you want to prosper, to prosper in your lives. In the next verse, chapter 5, verse 92, Allah the Almighty say, said, Satan desires only to create enmity and hatred among you by means of wine and the game of hazard and to keep you back from the remembrance of Allah and from prayer. But will you keep back? Allah the Almighty has made it clear through this verse that these games only create hatred and they take you away from the remembrance of Allah, so we should avoid them. I think many of the voices, they have been forbidden because you, as you start indulging into them, gradually you drift away from the basic purpose of your life and you stop remembering Allah. And anything which takes you away from God Almighty, your creator, and that is the main purpose of your life, then, of course, this is something to be avoided. Because once you, you start, you, you get indulged into it, then it is very, very difficult to come back from there. So that is why I think that's one, one philosophy, which is, uh, you know, to avoid these, these things. Otherwise, people say, oh, what's wrong with the gambling? Also, um, you read it in the news and it's out there that many people, because of these uh, financial issues, they they go into depression as well and uh, they, their family, they drift apart because of gambling. Many of them who are in gambling, they commit suicide. So every, every conjunction, every instruction which has been mentioned in the Holy Quran, 
it goes with the nature of the human. Um, Gambling being one of them, as I've mentioned, there are so many different issues which arise once a person becomes very addictive to these. Of course, I mean, there, there are many, many families which get destroyed. They are totally ruined because of um, the bad habit of the you know head of the family who is responsible for that because as as you start, maybe he can st- um, use start with the spare money and then, uh, you know, ends up with selling the uh, objects, the essentials of their home. They take away, you know, the TV, they, you know, some of, some of them, they, uh, you know, they even um, put their wives on stake mm-hmm. and lose them. So, so the houses are, are gone and they're ruined. So uh, uh, it, is a, it is a curse for the society, actually, the gambling. And similarly, the, the drinking. The drinking is something which um, God Almighty has forbidden uh, in the Holy Quran. Uh, of course, the, in Saudi Arabia, it was, uh, it was not only that it was custom, it was uh, not only habit, but also part of uh, their culture that the, they would invite uh, their guests and it would be a celebration and, and without um, alcohol, they are um, sort of uh, looking after or taking care of the guests would not complete without alcohol. But uh, and initially, they even the Muslims they used to drink, they used to drink the local wines, etc. But uh, gradually, um, Islam um, stopped them from drinking. And uh, initially, it was that during prayers, you should stop drinking, you shouldn't be drinking. And later on, there was an older commandment of God Almighty. And when this commandment came, you know, nowadays society, in the society, you see that they spend so much on just to how to stop uh, people drinking. And there are lots of uh, resources are spent on that. But in with one commandment, the alcohol, the wines, it was it was flowing in the streets of Medina because mm. everybody they broke the vessels in which they, 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 the the um, alcohol was contained. So so that is the beauty of Islam that you know if you have a spiritual leader whom you obey, one commandment is enough. You don't need to to go into you know because it is the change within that is brought by Islam. That is uh, that that can bring revolution. Otherwise, you know, of course, you know, with the smoking, you have seen that people have it has taken so long, and yet you have not been successful to stop people smoking, and uh, similarly gambling and and drinking as well. People are, even in this country, and uh, I know being a doctor that uh, on the um, on the weekend on the on the Friday night, it is a nightmare because people are. They're coming drunk, and uh, you know all what have done is that they have drunk alcohol, but they are at risk. You can't leave them because they can harm themselves. Their glucose level drops, and uh, so they have to be kept in hospital under observation mm. for a certain period. And then they, when they are drunk, they do such things that they will be fighting, they will be damaging themselves, they will be, you know, becoming wounded, and all sorts of, uh, you know. Um, curses, basically, you can you can see that are related to drinking alcohol. So so, so many different issues, yeah, social issues, traumatic, which are happening. And, and again, there. as you said earlier, that the the houses are uh, you know the homes are destroyed by this because of their habit. You know this this, this is the happening. man is beating up his wife, children, yeah, the children are beating up. It comes so with much the, with the violence. violence. Yeah. I mean, just to mention one thing on there. I'm, 
you know, in the Western countries, really normal to drink alcohol. It's a norm here. But I mean, just recently when the the World Cup happened in Qatar and in the beginning they said, why is there no alcohol, alcohol? But afterwards, those same people, they said this was the one of the best World Cup which which, which we have experienced because there was no Fight. violence, no fighting, nothing going on. Alcohol, whenever these functions, these big gatherings happen, alcohol is there and there's always abuse, violence. But yeah, over you there, end up in trouble, of course. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, Looking at the statistics, just just to, to, to look at the you know figures in in here in UK, according to the statistical bulletin, alcohol-related violent crime accounted for 464,000 out of 1.2 million crimes by the end of 2016. So these statistics they show that drinking has a very negative impact on our society. It leads the people towards crimes such as murder, robbery, rape, etc. And drinking of intoxicating liquors was prevalent among the Arabs at the time of the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him. The prohibition against their consumption came gradually. First, the Muslims were told by God that the intoxicating drinks contain more harm than good. Then they were commanded not to say their prayers if they were intoxicated. Finally came the commandment to shun this uncleanliness altogether. Muslims, therefore, are not permitted to consume alcoholic drinks at all. In the Holy Quran, Islam is very clear about the consumption of alcohol. The commandment is, they ask thee concerning wine and the game hazard. Say, in both there is great sin, also some advantages for men, but their sin is greater than their advantage. That's from chapter 2, verse 222. Islam is, a, of course, is a practical religion and the Holy Quran does not just instruct one what to do and what not to do. It gives solutions based on wisdom. And here in this verse, the Quran has mentioned that, yes, there are benefits, but it also clarifies that the benefits are not greater than the harm. Uh, the Holy Quran, you know, for the states in chapter 5, verse 92, the Satan desires only to create enmity and hatred among you by means of fine. Allah the Almighty has clearly mentioned that alcohol leads to hatred and enmity. Not only that, but it also leads people away from the path of Allah the Almighty and His religion. Allah wants the believers to keep their minds pure and clean so that they worship Him fully. Certainly, an intoxicated mind is not able to focus on God. And the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing Allah be upon him, said, If a large amount of anything causes intoxication, even a small amount of it is forbidden. We see one thing that when <clears throat> a person who is doing gambling, most of the time, as I've seen, that people are drinking as well. These both things go hands, hand, hands in hand, and most of the gamblers, they are drinking. If they are drinking, eventually they start doing gambling as well. And, you know, drinking especially when a, people, a person has started gambling uh, or, or drinking, has anxiety, has a depression. And if he is a follower of a religion, he is trying to, you know, getting away from it. Start, he just start avoiding people, avoid, avoiding society. So I think it's very beneficial, as God Almighty has said, that if we want to have a bond with Allah the Almighty, if we want to have a, a connection with Allah the Almighty, so... It's very important not to drink or not to do gambling because all these things takes away from Allah the Almighty. If we discuss further about the food, there are four things that 
eating of which is forbidden to a Muslim. First is something which dies of itself, animal which dies itself uh, you should not eat. Second, do not drink blood. Third, do not consume pork. And lastly, an animal which has been slaughtered in the name of anyone other than God Almighty. Uh, you see, Islam has given a very beautiful guidance mm. as regards the food is concerned. And many of the current age uh, illnesses, diseases, mm. like, for example, diabetes, hypertension, the, the metabolic syndromes, these are very, very common, and they are all related to food. Mm. And uh, the Holy Quran has given the first... There, there are two very, very important guidances which have been given in the Holy Quran. The very first one is... Kulu washrabu Eat and drink. Whatever you like. Walatusrifu. Do not exceed the limits. You have to do it in moderation. See, moderation is the key. Many, you know, the obesity, there is a um, uh, sort of epidemic of obesity in America, in the United Kingdom, in the developed world. Of course, you know, there are countries where people do not have enough to eat. But these countries where um, the quality, the calories have been, you know, initially there was a stress on how to gain more calories. And now that uh, they have understood that whatever they're consuming is too much for their body to utilize it. In fact, it is harming them because of the effect of food, the you know, whatever they are eating is being deposited into their body. They cannot rid of, and that deposit is in the form of fat, and that fat they are not able to get rid of. That fat they have to carry. Not only they have to carry, but they have to, the the extra workload is required to carry that, and their body, their heart is not able to cope with that. That is why you have so many diseases and illnesses. So this is one thing, but ap apart from that, it also says, give you a guide, that there are certain things which it has specifically forbidden. Hmm. And there is a, a great philosophy behind it. Now, four things which are forbidden for a Muslim. The very first thing is that something which is dead on its own. So you are not allowed to eat a thing which is dead. Dead means that it is not that you have not slaughtered it. It's not fresh. The blood has not come out. And it is dead. It has died on its own. It's sitting there. So even the things which are allowed or which you are supposed to consume, like mm. meat or like animals, you are not allowed if the blood has not taken out of them. So that is forbidden. Anything dead. Because what happens is that it gets infected. Yeah. And many a times, you know, they, you will if somebody has consumed... Because obviously um, the other religions, some of them, they, they don't follow any religion and anything they get to, to for uh, as a food, they will not uh, sort of let it go. They will eat it. And then they have become, as a result, they become ill because it was putrefied, it mm. was infected, and, and they, then they suffer. So that's the very first thing. The second thing which is forbidden, of course, is uh, uh, the, the, the verse says that that is the dead things. Vaddama, blood. Anything, you know, the blood is haram. Blood is forbidden. Because, you know, God Almighty knew that uh, the, the blood is very easily infected. 
And so if you are consuming blood, you are likely to get infected and get all the diseases associated with it. So that is why blood is forbidden. And again, I think there is a bigger philosophy as well that if, if blood was allowed, um, or, or then people would start consuming blood of the animals, even the living animals, they can. Uh, and I remember that uh, I, I have worked for some time in Tanzania, mm -hmm. and they have a tribe called Maasai tribe. The Maasais, they, you know, their bigger, biggest assets are their animals, their, their cows, and and they live with those cows. And they, whenever they are hungry, they can drink their milk. They can mm. take them. But some of them, they, what they do is they, they will cut their vein and put their mouth on it and just drink the blood. <laughs> okay. Because the blood provides them the, uh, you know, water needs as well as the the food needs. So that's that's what. They, but, you know. Some of them, they are, I've seen they are very educated and very nice people as well. But uh, generally, if you see them, you know, a lot of smell comes out of them uh, because of, you know, their habits. And, and mm. they will also put it on their on their body, the blood. And mm. and, and, and that's why. So, so Islam has taken care of the whole society, not the individuals. And uh, another thing after that, which is Dama Walahmal Khinzir, that's the pork. Yeah. Now, there is a, a great philosophy behind it. Why not to consume pork? And, uh, you know, if you can, if you want, you want to get more knowledge about that, you can read one of the books of the Promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is available on alislam.org. All the books of, uh, of the community are available. And one of the um, you know, epoch-making book, which is a great book and which has actually, which brings revelation to you if you want to learn about Islam is the, the, the philosophy of the teachings of Islam in which uh, it has been mentioned what is the philosophy, why pork has been forbidden by Islam. Uh, and, and that's the mainly, if we say in short, it is because the habits of the, of the, the swine, um, which of course has an influence on your morals, so Islam wants to prevent that. And of course, the uh, the last thing which is mentioned is that any animal which has been slaughtered in the name of anyone other than God, because Islam declares that any life is belongs to God Almighty. Hmm. So if you are taking a life of someone without his name, or rather, you know, having a name or for the sake of somebody else to whom it does not belong mm. because the life only belongs to God Almighty. Mm. So it can be consumed or it can be, somebody can be killed only in the name of Allah if God Almighty has allowed a human being or, you know, for the, for the sake of other animals as well, you can kill an animal because, you know, all the time the animals are ki killing each other. But if it is for the sake of Allah, then it is allowed, but if it is, you know, nowadays you see many times, even you see the Muslims, yeah, this is a um, uh, sort of, uh, they they have made it up that they will, they will sacrifice animals in the name of some uh, Falana Peer and some saint or some somebody, so that is not allowed, that is that is haram, that's uh, uh, forbidden. So, so this is the reason why, in short, I've spoken about you know, why there is a reason why, because Islam does not say anything without a reason. There is a reason behind the, for, you know, forbidding these particular <coughs> items of food. So first of all, it should be a 
sort of within moder it is should be moderation in moderation the mm-hmm. second it should not be something which is forbidden by islam that you should be consuming as a food very much right um, you know you have given uh, insight and discussed uh, about um, you know the food which is mentioned as well forbidden in the holy quran one of the thing god almighty says that you should be eating tayyib which is clean and pure Yes, and yes. I, I think this is the right instruction God, God Almighty has given uh, himself. That's, you know, eating an animal which dies itself is not good for you. Drinking is not good for you. And similarly, if you're consuming pork, it comes with some habited. And, uh, it's the, it, uh, you know, the soil has some habits which if you are eating it, somehow you're getting uh, from it. And as you know, you know, uh, they say you are what you eat. So... somehow you are you know uh, inculcating those habits within yourself you know drinking blood as as mentioned and lastly the slaughtering animal uh, not which was not on the name of god almighty dr tariq baj was very beautifully mentioned uh, what was the reason behind it so moving on uh, one of the beautiful teaching of islam is to give charity a charity towards man uh, in the widest sense of the world is to constone of the islamic society and constant theme in the quranic teaching there are two kinds of charities in islam the obligatory and the voluntary the obligatory charity is called zakat while the voluntary charity is called sadaqa charity of any kind should be given out of good things and not out of improperly acquired wealth nor from items that were useless and were going to be discarded anyway this voluntary charity is not limited to fellow human or fellow muslims if needy non muslim exists in the society they should be given a share very clear instruction of islam and the almighty that he wants a charity which is from the clean money god almighty says in the holy quran that the charity you are giving in the way of allah is to purify whatever you have to purify yourself and a person who giving a charity in the way of allah regularly he feels you know that god almighty is purifying his soul and he you know god almighty is with them with him just because he is donating in the way of allah the almighty and taking care of people who are in need in the society and being a muslims when we do charity is not something we doing charity just for the muslims as mentioned with anybody who is in need in the society regardless is muslims or has a religion or has there's no religion this very fundamental teaching is to take care of the people who are in need and feed them as you feed and you know you should give give them uh, clothes if you think they are in need in the holy quran the almighty states that and let there be among you a body of man who should invite to goodness and enjoin equity and forbid evil and it is they who shall prosper following the ahmadiyya muslim community take great pride in exhibiting good morals and attributes to change and bring about a good impact in society the community boasts a number of volunteers especially within the atfal children up to 15 and khuddam youth organization these young men raise money for charity through their annual uh, charity walks and cycling events such as right for peace and mercy for mankind and they offer their services with homeless feedings and litter picking throughout the country on new year's day and throughout the year they have planted thousands of trees and given relief to those affected by floods and natural disaster 
and in the COVID, not only here in the UK, but across the world, wherever the community is established. We try to serve mankind in all possible ways and show them through our actions that Islam is a religion of love, equality and brotherhood. The global caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, sent a message which was read out in 2015 at an event in the Houses of Parliament hosted to celebrate the achievements of the community. He said that since it was founded in 1889, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been constantly engaged in serving humanity throughout the world without any discrimination to creed, caste or colour. We practice and preach a message of love for, of love for all, hated for none, based upon teachings of the Holy Quran. And we see in the, from the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, we learn through him what God has commanded to him. He has shown that how people should be loved, how you should, have, you should be doing a charity. And he has shown through his noble examples that you have to take care of people around you, regardless of the creed, color, religion. You have to be a good person who is taking care of people just because Islam teaches humanity. Many times you must have heard that, you know, the, the, the Christian preachers particularly, they mention about that the Bible tells us uh, that love thy neighbor. Hmm. So so that is so. So if we compare it with the teachings of the, the Holy Quran, which is the teachings of the Holy Quran about the rights of neighbors are, is, is such that it is said that uh, about neighbors, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he spoke so much. Uh, in favor of the looking after the neighbors that the companions, uh, they say that we thought that he would make them, um, you know, uh, to, be, to be the heirs as well, the neighbors to be the heirs. They will inherit the property of the person as well. So that was, uh, you know, to the stress which was laid upon by, the, by Islam, how much you should look after or, or uh, you know, giving the rights to the neighbors. The Muslims are enjoined to look after the needs of the wayfarer and the neighbor. Islam does not favor the idea of looking after one's own needs and requirements only. In Islam, an individual is part of a social um, whole of the whole of society and is urged to share his or her good fortune with other fellow beings. Allah the Almighty has said in the Holy Quran, behave beneficently towards the, the neighbor that is a kinsman and the neighbor that is a stranger and the companion by your side. So this is, this is one thing which is very, very important that the neighborhood, how far does it extend? And it was mentioned, it is mentioned that in one of the traditions, the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, he said that up to 40 houses next to you is your neighborhood. So in fact, you know, wherever the street where you live in, they, everybody is a neighbor. So and, you ha and he has got all the rights which you give to, to a neighbor. And you have to look after them, you have to take care of them, you have to have a good relationship with them. And it's also mentioned, um, the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, he said that if your neighbors praise you, you are good. If your neighbor says you are bad, you are bad. He also said who behaves ill towards his neighbor is not a believer, nor can ever be one. In this hadith, the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, has said that you are not a believer or a true Muslim if you behave ill towards your neighbors. Also, uh, why he said that if your neighbor pays you, you are good, this is because 
your neighbor knows you a lot, and if your behavior towards your neighbor is good, there are high chances that you, your behavior with others will be good as well. In another place, and the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, he said, and that's a very beautiful um, you know, saying of the Holy Prophet as well. He said, one who eats his fill while his neighbor is hungry by his side is not a believer. Let not any of you neglect the least chance of doing good. If you can do no more, at least meet your brother with a smile on your face. When you buy meat and put the cooking pot on the fire, add a little more water and send a portion of the broth to your neighbor. This hadith tells us to share our food with our neighbors, and if they are going through hard times, we should make every effort to help them. Otherwise, we are not being a true believer. If we can't afford to give food, to, uh, the least you can do is meet your neighbor with a smile, because he says that smile is also a sadaka, sadaka, that it's a charity. Charity, yeah. I think when we look at the teachings of the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, we see that all kind of conduct, regardless for, you know, to upbring your morality or spirituality are mentioned in the Holy Quran. And one of the great uh, attribute or, you know, uh, uh, one should have is, is truthfulness. A person should be speaking truth. And, you know, we, we have, the world we're living in, uh, sometime, you know, a situation comes up where we think that speaking or you're telling a lie, it's a uh, norm, but it shouldn't be the case. And it's very important in our daily life that we should always speak truth because Allah the Almighty has clearly instructed that whenever we speak, we should speak straight and with uh, there's no, uh, there should be truthfulness in that. History tells us that the even the bitterness enemies of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, acknowledged about his truthfulness and called him a sadiq, a person who always speaks truth, he's a truthful person and uh, trustworthy. Being so truthful and honest himself, he laid great emphasis on truth as the basis of high moral character. The Quran also mentions truthfulness as the most prominent quality of a Muslim. A Muslim always speaks the truth even if it goes against his own interest or the interest of his relatives or friends. Given a false testimony, therefore, is strongly prohibited in Islam. Abdullah ibn Masood, anhu, may Allah be pleased with him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, Truth guides to virtue, and virtue guides to paradise. A person persists in telling the truth, till in the sight of Allah the Almighty is named truthful. Laying leads to vice, and vice leads to the fire, and person goes on lying till in the sight of Allah he is named a liar. You see, if you if you look at the teachings of the Holy Quran as a whole, you see that the Holy Quran tells us that there are three types of the sources, the main resource from which uh, actually your your actions, your deeds, they come out. Hmm. So these sources are the first one. For first one is mentioned as nafse amara, the self that incites evil. And that is where you are no different from other animals. You behave and you follow your instincts, just like the animal instincts, like when you're hungry, you eat. When you, you know, when somebody um, annoys you, you get angry and you fight with that. For the food, you fight with each other. 
And uh, so these are the very basic morals, how to sit, how to stand, how to behave with the others, how not to fight with the others, how you have a system where you have to marry uh, one woman or, or, or uh, there is a sort of discipline in the society. And that discipline is created with a very basic morality that uh, uh, a, a sort of um, a person who is just like an animal from a savage is converted to a human being. And from that, this next stage becomes the, the and the source here is called nafsil lavama, that the self which, which sort of in, um, uh, makes you reflect, makes you regret upon things which, which are not good. And when you do something good, you, uh, you, you want to do it again. And, but you are not fully able to actually follow the teachings and you do, you do not filter. Sometimes you are successful in doing something good and you are happy with that. But at other times, you are not able to do the level of a good deed which you want to do or you commit something which is wrong, which you shouldn't have done. So this is the major part of life is spent during this phase. When you are trying to achieve the high moral character, but sometimes because of your weakness, you fall. And that is why, you know, you have converted from an animal to a human being, from human being to a moral human being. You might have a very good morals, but you cannot achieve its peak. The peak you can only achieve once you have, you have continuously tried. And then you pray to God Almighty, who is your creator, who knows how you can achieve. And when he is kind enough and he give by his grace only you can achieve the next stage the source of which is the spiritual stage nafse mutmainna where you get you get complete contentment where you are pleased to do what god almighty wants you to do you follow the commandments of god almighty with your own will with your own happiness with your pleasure and you regret if you have done something um at this stage, you will not, actually, you will not intentionally do something which is against the commandments of God. So that is the that is the purpose of one's life, which is mentioned in the Holy Quran, that you should try to live your life in the effort to, or endeavors to achieve that status, that uh, stage. So all these morals which have, we have been speaking about, that these things are the food has an effect on you. So the purpose basically is the same, that you want to achieve a high spiritual status. And this is just a, a route, a, a, a pathway through which you have to go, that wherever God says, don't do this. For example, God says that don't marry your mothers. Now somebody can say, you know, what, what a stupid um, sort of a commandment this is. Mm -hmm. Who is going to marry his mother? But in fact, if you look up at the history, this has happened. Yeah. And uh, so this is a very basic from a savage, converting a savage to a human being. And then once you have become a human being, then you tell you the, the basic morals that you should not be lying. You should be, you know, you should be honest. You should be truthful. As we have just studied. And then it goes on to telling you about the, the good deeds, like you spend in the way of Allah, something spend for the sake of the human beings, like we mentioned about charity, but the purpose is not, not to show off. The purpose is that God is pleased with you. 
So this is what basically the morals of the Holy Quran are, that they take you step by step. And and it is just your physical acts, normal physical acts, just like the other animals, they also sleep, they eat, they sleep, they reproduce. But it is sort of organized in such a manner, it is disciplined with the filters which have been put by God Almighty, uh, according to the commandments of the Holy Quran, that you follow and that is how you achieve what you want to achieve. Uh, yes, one of the things comes up, people, <clears throat> especially we living in the West, they say that, uh, you know, regardless, uh, we are, uh, without being a Muslim, we are following all the morals. But why there's a need to accept Islam or why, you know, the teachings of Islam, they are nothing, they're no something for us. We already doing charity, we speak truth, we take care of people. One thing we need to understand that we need to understand that we are created by Allah the Almighty. We are uh, created by supreme being of Allah the Almighty where he has instructed us to live our life accordingly. In case you say that we are following uh, whatever is mentioned in the Holy Quran, you know, without being a Muslim or without following any religion, you know, maybe you are the individual person who is following it. But when religion comes in, this message is, is for the broader community, is for the society, is for all mankind that one should be following this. And there are many people, even though they, they sometimes don't want to do this, they just do it for the sake of Allah the Almighty by pleasing Him and following His commandments and understand that they will be asked by God Almighty. And if a person is doing something, won't make a big change in the society. If doing charity, maybe one person cannot change the whole world. If everybody is following the religion or the commandments of Allah the Almighty, everybody is, uh, you know, uh, speaking truth, everybody doing charity and uh, not doing vain things. Indeed, that actually brings the change within the society and which makes a better society to live in. Now we're going to discuss the orphans. As yes, uh, uh, Mishmi Sahib, you want to add something? Just, just wanted to add one thing on the regarding truthfulness that yeah. um, we see from a narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he narrated, and we can see if someone wants to abstain from any wrongdoing, hmm. if we follow this saying, he can easily abstain from any wrongdoing which is out there and which is the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon right. him. One person once came to him and he said, I do so many bad things, so many bad things. Just give me one, just instruct me to do one thing that I can do so I can abstain from all the wrong things. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said, always say the truth. Now, if you think about it, if that man would have gone back and would have done anything bad and his family members or even the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked him, did you do it? He's not allowed to lie mm. because he has to follow that instruction. And he has to take that instruction, keep in mind any wrongdoing he's doing, he needs to keep this instruction in mind. So this is, this is the importance of truthfulness. It basically makes you abstain from any wrongdoing which is out there because if people ask you you need to tell the truth yeah and if you have done it then definitely you have to see the circumstances exactly. face the circumstances or you know the if the punishment or anything if if you've done something wrong and uh, it's very important to when you understand that you have to speak truth and i think it's uh, protects you from so many evils it, it, it definitely protects you yes uh going back uh to um musharraf uh, to, we are discussing with orphans as we're discussing the first hour about the surrogacy 
and uh, surrogacy mother. And we have discussed that the adopting uh, or you're taking care of orphans are being given very you know much importance in Islam. I would like to mention uh, His Holiness Mr. Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper. You know, he's talked about rights of, of orphans in one of the, his Friday sermons on 16th November 2007. He said the Holy Quran carries many commandments relating to the rights of the orphans and enjoyment of compassion towards them. It, it likens them to one's brother, thus stressing the significance of looking after them. Indeed, one is most caring towards the physical, moral and spiritual well-being of one's brother. One is most restless if one's brother is ill. Similarly, Allah the Almighty states that the orphans are like one's brother. This sound upbringing should always be on one's mind and one should, be, one should strive to make them a dynamic part of the society. The Islamic teaching is that of love but you know, firmness when acquired required betterment and corrective aspect is always the intent orphan brothers should be given the same treatment just as one treats one's next of kin verse 10 surah an nisa parent of some orphan leave property behind their next of kin are enjoined not to have design over their property hazur said Sometimes the relatives do not even hand over the property of the orphan upon their reaching of the age. Allah the Almighty dislikes this immensely. The upbringing of the orphan should be with pure intention. If this is not the case, then while the orphan's wealth property is used in, in his her upbringing, it is also being used by the carer. When the orphan is made aware of this upon reaching an age of maturity, there is discord and conflict between those relatives. Matters reach the courts. At time, the dispute is brought to the community. Some people who wish to settle privately write their desperate affairs to Hazur. Indeed, as the first verse cited states, if Allah had willed, he could have placed people in hardship in terms of bringing up orphan. But if there is a need, their property wealth may be used in their upbringing. However, none of it for the personal use of the care. So indeed, Allah the Almighty states that those who consume the property of orphan soul of fire in their bellies. So it is vital to make the orphan an active, useful part of the society. The use of divine attribute of the mighty and the wise at the end of the verse indicates that although orphans are vulnerable and weak, but the society should be mindful of the mighty and wise God who has his caring hand on them. Then there are some other morals regarding duty to animals that it's not only the human being, uh, Quran or Allah the Almighty state that you should take care of. Islam has given a great importance on taking care of animals. You should be protect, protecting them, you should be feeding them. There's so much, many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has mentioned that this camel is crying to me, he's hungry, give him a food. So if you are taking care of an animal or you know you have animal house, you should not be just, uh, uh, they are there and just not taking care of them. You should always take care of them and fulfill. I mean, the, we, the, we, the, we have the saying of a prostitute giving water to um, a cat. Yeah. And then because of that, her going um, her going to paradise. So we see these little examples. And all of these examples, all these contexts, we see that God loves his creation. Yeah. 
and these this is why all these uh, um, instructions are there there are more than 700 instructions if, mm. if you think about it. that's what the promised messiah peace be upon him has mentioned more than 700 instructions are there and many of them are related to the creation of god almighty and again coming back to the first point that islam compromises of two main things which is fulfilling the right of god and fulfilling the right of his creation mm-hmm. and this is why god um has we see in a saying of the holy prophet peace and blessings be well upon him that god on the day of judgment he is going to ask his um believers that did you look after this 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 man when he came to you and asked you for something yeah you were mishra i think uh, again we would end up you know we are we have to fulfill the rights of allah almighty and fulfill the rights of creation regardless any human being or an animal and uh, we should uh, take care of them and there's uh, so many other commandments which we can discuss but uh, you know we know as we're reaching towards the end of today's show and uh, i hope uh, that uh, you have enjoyed uh, today's show and learned something new about islam and what islam has to say and you have learned about the surrogacy uh, what islam has to say on this and at the end i would like to thank the producers of today's show and the technical team working behind the scene thank you very much uh, for them all please uh, join us in the next show until next time assalamu alaikum peace be upon you all